0: challenge us I'm sure when I said so next week we're going to talk about what a savior of the world mean to you some of you are probably saying no I don't want to have that conversation because I have no idea what it means so I'll go home quick and I'll get out a commentary and I'll come with a nice little teaching for everyone what it means no no what does it mean to you what does it mean so these words they don't challenge us they don't convict us they don't inspire us They don't fill us with awe and dread and wonder. That's why one of my favorite things about Advent at Cana is day breaks out, let all mortal flesh keep silence. Even if the opening riff sounds like Hotel California, it's still one of my favorite songs, Brian. And uh, just the language in it. And and what captures me about that song so much is is these principalities, these non-humans in their complete awe and dread of the Savior. And we just, yeah, Savior of the world, whatever. Great. These words lost in translation no longer cause us to fall on the ground in worship or cause us to have our lives radically transformed by the Savior of the world. I wonder if we were to remember how powerful these words are to relearn what they really meant. To come to terms with how Jesus was using him maybe it would change everything for us. For I think one of two things would happen. We would either finally step with hope and great expectation and probably quite a bit of fear into a path of having our lives utterly transformed by this Christ, or we would simply walk away from all of it. And with the disciples mutter something like, well, who can be saved? But I think once and for all, there would be no more middle ground for Christians. There would no more be all of us giving lip service to the Savior of the world, but living nothing like Him and not caring anything about the world that He is saving, (laughs) including our own lives. See, here's the thing. When Jesus came and spoke words like kingdom, faith, Savior, Lord, gospel, He was not introducing new words to the world. That's a Christian conceit. We think the Gospels are filled with all these new words that are ours. And that's why we spend so much time being scholarly about our theologies and our doctrines, because we have to be right, or we're them, we're not us, right? But he was using words that were commonly used all the time. They aren't Christian words. In fact, maybe he never expected them to become Christian words. What he was doing was taking words commonly used to define the human world. He was changing their meanings, and he was using them to point to the divine world. He was asking the people he lived among then, and all of the world he lives among now, to rethink reality. This is what we have talked about this year. The year of the Eucharist, the year of the omnipresence of God. Jesus came and said, yeah, you think that's reality. No, reality is what you can't see, and it's all around you. Remember St. Paul? We live and move and have our very being in his being. He's not a thing somewhere. He is all around us and in us and among us. And Jesus came and used these words that we embrace and hold on to about our world and said, no. Let me tell you about reality. He's asking us to reimagine life, not have him stamp his approval on our life. He's asking us to believe in the possibility of full redemption and not settle for anything else. So, this next paragraph I'm going to... I've stolen directly from Shane Claiborne. A number of years ago, Shane Claiborne came to Cana. For those of you that were here that night, it was a spectacular, spectacular night. He's quite a guy. He put together a book that if you've never read and you want to dive more into the origins of Christianity's words that Jesus introduced to us, he wrote a book called Jesus for President. I strongly recommend it. it might change your life. So he said this. Now, I've taken a lot of liberties with his words because I it, He went on and on and on. I just reduced this to one paragraph, but I still wanted to make sure you understood it was coming from him. Because it was about eight and a half years ago, I did a sermon in which, in my notes, thank goodness I had it in my notes and I listened again and I did say it out loud that I credited someone for a few chapters, for a few paragraphs. And a week later I got an email from someone, I don't know where they were, somewhere in the world telling me that I'd plagiarized so-and-so. And I was like, what? And I responded right away and I said, I don't believe I plagiarized, and, but I will look into this. And he responded with a really nasty response actually that I got back about, you know, all you pastors do the same thing. You make it sound like it's you that know everything. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, I don't think I've ever done that, but let me look. Thank God I went back to my notes. I listened, I got Rich on the phone. Rich went and listened. He goes, David, you credited that guy right there. So I sent him a copy of the sermon. I said, please listen again. Maybe you didn't listen the whole way. So anyway, that's why I'm saying this. This is Shane, Shane Claiborne for the next three sentences. All right. So here's the thing. When Jesus came, this is what king, kingdom meant Roman Empire. It was a word that existed. It meant Roman Empire. Jesus used it to define the kingdom of God. Ruling the Roman Empire was the all-powerful Caesar. Ruling the kingdom of God was the all-loving Yahweh. And as I go through this, I want you to be thinking about something. This isn't just a a, a lesson in in just words. This is a lesson in meaning. Right? We talked about what is God? What is God like? How many of us worship just another Caesar? That's not the God Jesus introduced to us. That's the God we love. That's the God the people loved when Jesus came. It's like reading Revelations. Revelation is this wonderful, fantastic, beautiful myth that Christianity has destroyed and ruined and turned God into something that doesn't show up in Revelation, but we turn him into that God. This is why we're gonna spend 2020 and maybe 2021 going through the Gospels. It sounds funny that all of us who have been Christians most of our lives need to go back, we do need to go through the Gospels. We need to find out about this Jesus that we claim to believe in. Is it really the Jesus we say we believe in? And if we find that, yeah, the Jesus of the Gospels is who we claim to believe in, then are we living like that? Are we following? So I want you to be thinking as you see these things, OK? Gospel was a word that was already around. Man, I didn't know that until I was like in my late 30s. I thought gospel was purely a Christian thing, right? Because I grew up in a family of Scottish immigrants. We still went downtown park and stood on the corner on Sunday nights and Bullhorn to tell people they were going to hell and gave the gospel message. I didn't know that gospel was good news of the empire. Whenever anything happened in the empire, if Caesar had a baby, especially if it was a son, or they won a war, messengers went throughout the empire and preached the gospel of Caesar. The good news. Behold, unto you is born a son of Caesar. Good news. Good news. Jesus came and said, I got good news. (laughs) All are welcome in the kingdom of God. You don't have to be a Roman. I got good news. I got good news. Son of God? Yep, again, the word I thought Jesus made up? Nope. It was a title for kings and emperors. Alexander the Great especially. Caesar Augustus, they loved to call themselves the Son of God. Now here's the interesting about Jesus. Yeah, he was called the Son of God, but mostly Jesus called himself the Son of Man. <laughs> I find that very fascinating. And Yoder points out, by the way, interestingly, Satan used Son of God when tempting Christ. Because the options laid out before Jesus by Satan were all ways of being a human king. All ways Jesus refused to go. I think that should tell us a lot that Jesus sort of rejected Son of God as a name. Didn't reject it, but used Son of Man. Instead, while all these other people were using Son of God. Fascinating, right? Those of us that were here for the Corinthian series many years ago know that ecclesia means church. You also, we also learned that, no, ecclesia was just a word that was already in play. And it was a word that was about a public assembly within the Roman Empire. And these gatherings and these meetings usually were political meetings. Stegman suggests it was like a town meeting where even citizenship was bestowed on people and so, Brooke and Gwyther explain that for the first Christians, here's what, here's what church meant for the first Christians. Emphasizes that the followers of Jesus were called to participate in their world as local communities of an alternative society to the Roman imperial order. I want you to think about that. You know, one thing when we, when we moved into this space, one of the things I was personally happy about is that there's nothing in here. Well, we got Abe up here. Honest Abe is up here, but... You know, when you think about this right here, this is what it meant to go to a Christian gathering in the beginning of Christianity. I can guarantee you there were no statues of Caesar at those gatherings. I can guarantee you they didn't pledge allegiance to the Roman Empire's flag. Just a thought, where our churches have come from, where our churches are going. Many of us have heard the word Perugia before, right? Perugia in Christianity means what? The second coming of Christ? No, this word existed. This word was always around. And it literally meant presence. And what it would mean is when Caesar would grace different parts of his empire with his presence again. The emperor is coming again to grace his presence with us. Faith was a term that was always used before Jesus came and it was loyalty to trust and hope in the Roman Empire. You know, we've been asking ourselves this question I think through this year, I've been trying to ask ourselves this question, do we trust Jesus was the incarnate God, the great I am? Because I know if you're like me, you probably have a lot more trust in your government and in your empire than you have trust in Jesus Christ. Faith. Jesus spoke of faith, though, as not having trust in your empire, but as having trust in him, uh, a peasant, a foolish peasant at that, a peasant that was killed by the empire. But he's asking us to trust that. To trust that. Think about that. Lord was the name of the supreme ruler of Rome. That's what they were called when Jesus showed up was another title for Jesus that we gave him. This one always hits me hard because it's one of my favorite names for Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. I love that. But long before Jesus showed up, that's title claimed by Antiochus IV and others. It was manifestation of the presence and will of the gods of the empire. Of course, it was a name given to Jesus by one of the angels announcing his birth. They were in on the sarcasm and irony long before Jesus could talk as a human. And worship was an act of submission before a ruler or emperor. But for Jesus, it was what the wise men did when he was born. So, you're beginning to get a sense, a sense, I hope that's just a little bit of a sense. That, for me, was not an academic exercise. That was meant to be a piercing, piercing light into our deepest, Parts of our being as to what we believe. What do we think? You can almost hear now that you you sense this that Jesus was often just using the sarcasm and irony. All these people living in complete fear of the Roman Empire when he came, complete and utter fear of the Roman Empire. Listen. Yes, it is absolutely true, you can study history, and it is absolutely true, Rome brought peace to the known world through one thing, fear. Because if you didn't bow down and worship Caesar, they just slaughtered you. That's a pretty easy way to keep peace. Interesting enough, we sort of all believe in that, don't we, at some level? Yeah, that's that's, that's why we have such a peaceful country. Yeah, because if you interfere with our peace, we will drop big bombs. Fascinating. This Jesus we sit here and claim to believe in and follow. Fascinating. So you could hear Jesus come to all these people living in fear of this massive empire. And he would just sort of, I can almost see a smile on his face. You know, I could see this messenger coming into Galilee. Good news. Something happened in some far reaches of the empire. And I can see Jesus sort of smirking and looking at the people around him. Good news. I'll give you good news. How about this good news? God loves you. Don't worry about Caesar. Got this covered. It's amazing. He redefined the human experience. We say justice, and he says, yeah, and mercy. We say fairness, and he says grace. We say to each his own, self-preservation, and Jesus says the cross. We say transactionalism, and Jesus says love. We want a kingdom, and Jesus offers us home. Jesus did not come here and ask us to pray for our kingdoms, that they would be better, that our kingdoms would be more Christian, that our leaders would be more moral. No, he didn't come here for any of that. He came here and he said, listen, you don't belong to these kingdoms. This is not reality. You belong to my kingdom. I am the one who loves you. Come to me, trust me, live like me. He's the savior of the world. Not because he intends to Christianize our kingdoms, not because he is going to end war with more war, the myth of redemptive violence. No, because love will win. And he alone stands and invites us to live into love and grace and mercy. This is the story of the woman at the well. This is what we have been exploring. This is not some morality tale, which she's caught going to bad wells, and Jesus wants her to go to Good Wells. No. That's not what this is. Any well that is not his well is simply not the way. And it can be a wonderful well. It can be a very good well. It can be a Christian well. If it's not his, it's not the way. Listen, as far as we know, her first three marriages were all legal. So there's nothing wrong with them. But they didn't satisfy. And if they didn't satisfy, how are the other ones going to satisfy but Jesus did not ask her to make her way better. He doesn't ask us to make our way better. He asks us to leave our ways, both the good and the bad, and follow Him out of our kingdom into His. He asks us to join Him in what He's doing in the world. He's creating, He's forgiving, He's loving. He's having kindness. And that's not me. That's a word St. Paul gave us. Do you not know the kindness of God leads to redemption? It's a word I think Christianity has forgotten. Jesus came and said, that is a kingdom that is destroying everything I made and everything I love, and I want you to live in this kingdom that will create and build and grow. And oh, by the way, fear not, for behold, I bring you great tidings. This kingdom will never end. And no matter how dark it gets, life wins. Oh, that's good news. If you had known who it was that speaks to you, you would have asked him for a drink of water and he would have given it to you. How many of us are just looking for something, anything, to make our lives better? Yet we're the ones who claim we know Jesus is the Savior of the world. If you have hate, he offers you love. If you have fear, he offers you safety. If you're enslaved, he offers you freedom. The problem is, it's not our freedom. It's not our safety. But if he's a savior of the world, he must be right. He must be right. So as long as we hold on to our kingdoms, our ways... No matter how good they seem, no matter how much they seem to work, the life we are really seeking remains elusive at best. He offers us a kingdom in which the King loves us unconditionally and just asks one thing of us. Trust that. Trust God loves us. And then love others the same way. This woman was trusted he was the savior of the world and her life was changed and living out that change the people from her town were drawn to christ and they too came to trust he was the savior of the world and their lives were changed and oh by the way if you didn't notice in reading that story nope she didn't get sent off on a three-year discipleship program in which she needed to learn all about the bible and all the doctrines of christianity and become the best at what she knew And she didn't need to get all the stories right. She didn't even need to know where Jesus was from or who he was. She just needed to go and say, Hey, come see this guy that told me everything. And he still loves me. Where did we go so far wrong? But that's the beauty. It's today we're being invited back into something beautiful. I am confident if this Advent we can trust that Jesus is the Savior of the world, our lives too will be changed. And when we live out that change, how many more will be drawn to this Christ who loves as no human Savior of the world could ever love. Thanks be to God.